Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home. I think many true crime warriors have come to terms with the fact that many serial killers, both past and present, have served in the military at some point. Many of them, though, usually taking a bit of a hiatus while on active duty due to being, quote, too busy, as infamous Israel Keys put it. But nothing sends chills down my spine more than coming across a serial killer who killed while on active duty. Someone that I could have possibly rubbed shoulders with at the chow hall or someone who may have fixed my computer when it stopped working. Today, I will tell you about such a serial killer. Someone who lurked for far too long, choosing victims at random. Join me today as I discuss Ronald Gray and his 10-month murder streak. Now, let's dig in. First, a little shout out to Sloan from Killer Queens, who helped in researching and writing this episode. The sources we used for this episode include various court opinions, including opinions by the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces, all the way up through the Supreme Court of the United States. We also used articles in the Charlotte Observer, the Army Times, Murderpedia, the Orange Observer, WRAL, and my all-time favorite, Military Justice for All. Just a warning that this episode does contain circumstances of rape, and while I will not dive into this, I do want to give everyone a heads up. On the evening of January 6, 1987, 23-year-old Kimberly Ann Rugles, a local cab driver in Fayetteville, North Carolina, was dispatched to pick up a passenger by the name of Ron. Kimberly promptly left to pick up the passenger at a phone booth near the Fairlane Acres trailer park. But oddly enough, she never returned to work after picking up this passenger. The next morning, some military police officers on patrol at nearby Fort Bragg, they came across an abandoned cab. It was parked along the edge of some woods and thinking that maybe the driver was nearby, the military police started looking around. And it wouldn't be long until the young MPs made a gruesome discovery. In the woods lay the naked body of a woman. The woman? Cab driver Kimberly Ann Rugles. Later that evening in the town of Fayetteville, two sex workers reported to police that they had been kidnapped at gunpoint and raped by someone in the woods. They said that miraculously they were able to convince their attacker to let them go. And he had. Now, while sex workers in the 80s may not have been so easily believed, it was something about the intensity of these ladies' stories that caught the homicide detective's interest. Jack Watts, lead homicide detective for Cumberland County Sheriff's Office at the time, he took the two ladies out to canvas the area. The ladies said that they were attacked in the Fairlanes Acres Mobile Home Park, a mobile home community near Fort Bragg. 
Watts took the ladies near the area to canvas. Maybe they'd see the guy. And I think that Watts was interested in this particular person because there had been a lot of murders, three murders to be exact in this mobile home area. And three other women had reported being raped. Now, the three of them sat in the car, the ladies describing the man that they claimed assaulted them. When out of the corner of their eye, they catch the glimpse of a man walking through the park. They are stopped dead in their tracks as they continue to look at the man. And immediately they know this is the man that attacked them. The ladies were adamant. That's the guy. That's the guy. Watts and another officer stopped the man who was walking. And seeing as these eyewitnesses directly pointed at him, they made the arrest. The man in handcuffs was Ronald Adrian Gray. He was an army specialist at nearby Fort Bragg. He arrived on station about a year earlier in 1986. And it turned out Ronald had a pastime no one else knew about. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy. And it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your cart and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Ronald Adrian Gray was born on August 14, 1966 in Cochrane, Georgia. There's not much that we know about Gray's life growing up. And what we do know, we learned from his mom, Lizzie Hurd's court testimony. Ronald had at least one sister and they all grew up in Liberty City, Florida. The area he grew up in was described as a, quote, public housing project in Miami, end quote. We learned that Gray had been abused by his stepfather when he was a young boy. Gray's family life growing up was bleak. According to a forensic psychologist who examined him, Gray's life was full of, quote, fairly substantial socioeconomic deprivation, multiple male figures in the home, multiple physical moves, living in substandard poverty conditions and circumstances where the electric lights were turned out because the bills were not paid. He had a step parent at one time 
who was extremely abusive to his mother and abusive to young Gray, using belts on him to the point of inflicting injury, drawing blood, end quote. In 1984, seeing no other way out, Gray enrolled in the Army when he was 18 years old. His first assignment was with the Target Acquisition Battery with the 1st Battalion, 39th Field Artillery Regiment. In 1986, he moved to Fort Bragg, where he was a specialist working as a cook. And it wasn't long after he arrived at Fort Bragg and began living at the Fairlane Acres Trailer Park that he began his reign of terror. Dead females turned up left and right, but no one had a clue who was responsible. It was April 1986, and Linda Jean Coates, a Fairlane Acres resident and a college student at Campbell University, well, she was looking forward to her bright future. She was actually getting ready to graduate from college, but her biggest accomplishment was completing the Army ROTC program. She was a week away from commissioning into the Army when tragedy struck. On April 29th, Linda, the promising future second lieutenant, was discovered dead in her trailer. She had been sexually assaulted and had been shot in the head. Detectives were baffled, and before they could even blink, just days later, another female was discovered. But this woman was discovered by soldiers at Fort Bragg. The woman's body lay naked near some woods, and it was evident that she had been severely beaten and stabbed. Investigation revealed that this was the body of Teresa Utley. Teresa was a sex worker in nearby Fayetteville, and one day she was picked up by a John and never returned to work. An examination of her body determined that she had been raped and stabbed to death by her attacker. There seemed to be a lull in female murders at this point, but that would not be the case for long. On November 16, 1986, two female sex workers were snatched off the street near the Fairlane Acres trailer park homes at gunpoint. The man who kidnapped them then took them into nearby woods and raped both of them, threatening to kill them. However, despite the man's threats, the women survived after begging and pleading with their attacker, please don't kill us, please don't kill us, we won't tell anyone. The man surprisingly let the women go. But sadly, due to their chosen profession, the women believed that any report they made to police would just get filed away and disregarded. And on top of potentially not being believed, they feared the man would retaliate if they reported him. So they stayed mum for a bit, that is. However, one of the women was not ready to let it go completely. She decided to take matters into her own hands. She wanted to see if this man would return to the same area where he had abducted her. So together with her boyfriend, they staked out the area. When wouldn't you know it, she saw him. I can only imagine it took everything in her being and her boyfriend's being not to jump out of the car and whoop his bottom. But they remained calm and didn't do anything. Sadly, the man would go on to abduct yet another woman since he was a free man and it was evident no one was going to report him. Just a few days after the two sex workers were kidnapped at gunpoint, another woman who lived in this neighborhood was kidnapped and forced into a wooded area and raped. I have not been able to find her name nor more information about her, but what I do know, according to the Charlotte Observer, is that her rapist used a knife to slash at her body and face, then walked off and left her for dead. But she wasn't dead and would eventually survive to tell about her ordeal. But on the night that he left this woman for dead, 
Gray had not quenched his thirst for rape and murder. No, no, no. He returned to Fort Bragg where he attacked yet another woman, this one a soldier. She also survived, but unfortunately the attack was so sudden and surprising that the woman was unable to identify her assailant. It's likely you were thinking that Ronald Gray only attacked sex workers due to their vulnerability. And before researching this case, that's what I thought. But turns out that Ronald didn't have a type. His type was woman, sex worker, military woman, military spouse. It didn't matter. And he would demonstrate this when just days after his most recent attack, Gray raped and stabbed another soldier on base who couldn't identify him either. Because these women could not identify anything about their perpetrators, the military police had nothing to go on. So with that, Gray had a clean slate to keep doing his thing. On December 12, 1986, an 18-year-old woman named Tammy Wilson was abducted from her home in, you guessed it, Fairlane Acres Trailer Park. Her husband spent hours looking for her, reported her missing, and he would eventually find her in the woods behind their home, naked and dead. She had been brutally raped and shot at close range. She never even had a chance. After Gray got into the swing of things, he had no real cooling down periods. He got a taste for blood and he loved it and needed to keep going. His attacks were now taking place within days of each other, almost like a spree killer. In fact, after the murder of Tammy Wilson, it would be just three days before the next woman, poof, vanished. It was December 15th, 1986, and Sergeant Michael Clay, a Fort Bragg soldier, was out on the field doing maneuvers when all of a sudden he was called off the field. There was an emergency at his house. He needed to go immediately. The mobile home he shared with his wife of three weeks had burned down to the ground and his wife was surprisingly missing from the scene. Where could she have possibly gone? Michael was dual military and his wife was Private Laura Vickery Clay. Before the house had caught flames, she was home all day, but now she had just disappeared. But she wasn't just gone, her car was also gone. So was it possible that she was out and about or is it possible that she voluntarily made herself disappear? Well, if this was a mystery, the mystery would deepen when the following day, just one block from the burned down house, Laura's car was found abandoned, but still no sign of Laura. It would take five weeks for Laura to reappear. On January 17, 1987, near the woods at Fort Bragg, Laura Vickery Clay's nude and decomposing body was discovered. After her abduction from her home, Laura was reportedly raped, sodomized, and then murdered by shots to her head, forehead, chest, and back of the head. She was killed with a 22 caliber pistol that surprisingly was found only about 60 feet from her body. It would later be determined that that gun had been stolen back in November of 86 by none other than Ronald Gray. Once the investigation into this soldier was underway, witnesses reported that they had seen Laura at Kmart the night she vanished. She was with a man later identified as Ronald Gray. And Gray couldn't get out of this one because his fingerprints were later matched to fingerprints found on the hood of Laura's car. Sadly, two weeks before Laura's body was discovered, Ronald would attack yet another female soldier in the dorms. On January 3rd, 1987, Ronald was in the barracks 
and knocked on 20-year-old Private Mary Ann Lang Nemitz's door. He was desperate and really needed to use the restroom. So Marianne, the good soldier, let him in. But once he had gained entry, though, Ronald wasted no time taking out a knife and holding her at knife point. He demanded that she give him her military field gear. And then he tied her up using the cord from her curling iron. Now, she may have thought that all she needed to do was cooperate and she'd be okay. But if she thought that, she would be wrong. Because once she was tied up, Ronald then had his ways with her, stripping her naked and raping her, all the while telling her. And now I imagine that she's crying, tears are streaming down her face, but he's threatening her and saying, if you scream, I will kill you. Marianne, again, probably thinking, just cooperate and you'll be fine. But Ronald knew full well he was not going to let her live. And once he was done, he stabbed Marianne multiple times, puncturing her lung and slicing her trachea. Then he left her dorm room and disappeared into the night. But what Ronald didn't realize is that Marianne was not in fact dead. She was dying, but she was holding on for dear life, probably telling herself, please just hold on so we can get justice against this guy. Three days after the attack on Marianne, on January 6, 1987, Ron struck again. This time, his victim of choice was his 23-year-old cab driver, Kimberly Ann Rugles. Kimberly was a mother of three, and her brutal death left her children without a mother. When Kimberly was found, Ron may have thought he left behind no trace evidence, but he'd be wrong. At the scene, Kimberly was discovered gagged. The gag was made up of some material taken from Ron's karate pants, And this would be the nail in his coffin at a later prosecution. Sadly, Kimberly had also been raped, sodomized, and stabbed seven times before her throat was slit. Gray's fingerprints would later be matched to the prints on the interior door handle of Kimberly's cab. And while that would be easy enough to explain away, because remember, there were probably many other fingerprints as she was driving a cab, Gray was also later found to be in possession of the karate pants with the missing belt. He also had money with Kimberly's fingerprints on it and his footprints were identified at the scene where Kimberly's body and cab were later found. News caught up quickly and reports were widely circulated about Kimberly's murder. And it was reporting on Kimberly's tragic death that moved the two sex workers who were attacked in November to come forward. They weren't for certain it was the same guy, but if it was, they didn't want to have any more blood on their hands. These two women went out to the neighborhood that night with Inspector Jack Watts, and for the next night or so, they did surveillance of the neighborhood. Then, jackpot, they spotted their attacker casually walking across a trailer park, and it was there during that brave surveillance that a predator was removed from the streets. Detective Watts arrested Ronald Gray and described him as a cold, cold guy. Watts believes that the night that Ronald was arrested, He was in that neighborhood stalking out the place, learning more routines, trying to figure out when the husbands wouldn't be home. And it wasn't long after his arrest that the body of Laura, the military spouse and active duty soldier who was kidnapped from her burning home, was discovered on base. Another murder to tack on to Ronald's charge sheet. The one thing most of Ronald's victims had in common, they were either his neighbors at the Fairlane Mobile Home Park or his co-workers living on post at Fort Bragg. 
Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Thankfully, Ronald was stopped 10 months after his first murder began. But think of it, that was 10 months too long. Because his crimes were committed both on post and off post, Ronald would face both civilian charges and military charges. Civilians, though, would take the first stab at Ronald's case. On August 8, 1987, Ronald was indicted on 23 felonies, including two charges of first-degree murder for Linda Coates, the ROTC student, and Tammy Wilson, the military spouse. He was also indicted on five counts of first-degree rape and first-degree sex offenses, four counts of first-degree kidnapping, two counts of first-degree burglary and armed robbery, plus one count each of second-degree arson, attempted first-degree rape, and assault with a deadly weapon with the intent to kill. His bond was set at $450,000, so he remained in jail. As to why anyone with that many murders under their belt would ever be offered bond is beyond me, but I digress. On November 5, 1987, Ronald pled guilty to all of the charges against him, and he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences and five concurrent life sentences, which basically equates to life in prison without parole. But even with the hefty sentence, the military was like, oh, hell no, we want a piece of that too. So now it was time for a general court-martial. His general court-martial lasted four plus months long from December of 87 to April 12th of 88. And the length of his trial was shockingly long. Well, it wasn't surprising considering the Army's decision to pursue a death penalty case. Ultimately, the evidence was overwhelming and Ronald was convicted of a laundry list of the most serious crimes on the planet. Guilty of 14 charges, including the premeditated murder of Kimberly Rugles, the taxi driver, and Laura Vickery Clay, the military spouse and active duty soldier. He was also convicted for the attempted premeditated murder of Mary Ann Lang Namath, three counts of rape, two counts of robbery, and two counts of forcible sodomy, as well as larceny and burglary. For sentencing, the six-member jury took only two hours in deciding Ronald's fate the death penalty. Kimberly Rugel's younger sister, Lori Keith, who was 13 years old at the time of her sister's murder, she said that during the trial, Gray had a smile on his face, like he smiled a lot, but that her mother, who is now deceased, instilled in her that 
she should forgive Ronald Gray, and she said that she has. Of the death penalty, Lori was quoted as saying, quote, it's not my place to say when, where, or how. That's up to the law and the Lord, end quote. Gray was also sentenced to a dishonorable discharge, total forfeitures of all pay and allowances, and reduction to the lowest enlisted rank. Ronald's death sentence was confirmed by the commanding general of the 82nd Airborne Division on July 29, 1988. For me, the most shocking fact about Ronald is that he was only 23 years old at the time of his last trial, and he had eight life sentences in civilian court and a death sentence in military court. He is currently housed at Fort Leavenworth's U.S. Army Disciplinary Barracks in Kansas, where he is still awaiting death. One month after his final sentence was handed down, you know, after all the appeals and whatnot, Army Secretary Pete Guerin scheduled Gray's execution for December 10, 2008. The order stated it was the responsibility of Army personnel that Gray was to be put to death by lethal injection at the Federal Correction Complex in Terre Haute, Indiana. Jack Watts commented that sometimes you're not really sure about the death penalty sentence, but that in this particular case, he feels that it's warranted and he doesn't have any second thoughts about the appropriateness of the conviction and sentence. The scheduling of the execution would seemingly end the case of Ronald Gray, but it's not that simple. This case was so unique because cases with lengthy sentences and death penalty cases They typically have appeals processes that take years, if not decades, to navigate. But add to that a case where you have a civilian conviction and a military death penalty conviction. And well, you get this case, one that was volleyed from civilian courts to military courts. Timothy Kane, one of Ronald's appellate attorneys, described the appeals process in his case as a, quote, contest of hot potato between military and civilian courts, end quote. One of the big contentions that Ronald made early on in his appeal was that he was criminally insane at the time of his crimes. And with that, in post-conviction appeals, his attorneys argued that he needed to be evaluated. Most of his appeals, however, were denied. But one that was approved was his request for additional medical and neuropsychological evaluations. They ran a slew of tests on him, and after it was all said and done, A military neuropsychologist wrote up a report that declared Ronald was sane at the time he was attacking, raping and murdering women. And in fact, he was still sane. Well, Ronald's attorneys were not happy with that determination and they went after the courts. They were pointing fingers saying that the civilian courts and military courts were pointing fingers at each other because no one wanted this poopy diaper. They'd much prefer to let the other court deal with it and be done with it. And with all of the back and forth and back and forth appeals, the victim's families were dragged around like rag dolls. Tammy Wilson's sister, Honey Rose, she wants to see the execution and make sure that Gray is not still alive. So there is absolutely no possibility that he will ever be free. In April of 2015, over two decades since all the murders took place, Kimberly Rugel's father, Edward Bowman, attended one of Gray's appeals in Kansas. Edward had not been to any of the previous trials or appeals, so this was the first time he was coming face-to-face with his daughter's murderer. 
Edward was a tough cookie. I mean, he had actually in his lifetime been thrown from truck beds and even had a run for mayor. A man who'd raised nine children and outlived two wives, and he still managed to stage multiple protests for causes that meant a lot to him. Edward was not one to shy away from something difficult like a fight for justice, but he had never attended any of the court proceedings when Ronald Gray was involved. Of this momentous court appearance, Edward said, quote, that was the first time I got to see him. I hadn't even seen him on TV. I didn't know what he looked like until I saw a picture of him. I wanted to walk right up to him and slap him and ask him what he'd do with a real man and not a little girl, end quote. Kimberly's dad had said that while the delays that have dragged out this case have been frustrating, quote, at least I know something is going on, that it's not dead in the water. I want to live long enough to see him die, end quote. However, Edward has also said that while he would love to see Gray, quote, die the same way he killed, end quote, he's happy knowing that he's in solitary confinement in a six by 10 foot windowless cell 23 hours a day. He is content that if Gray's death sentence is ever overturned and he was given life instead, Gray will still live the rest of his life in this setting. And if that should be the case, he hopes that Gray lives to be 114 years old. Kimberly's husband, Michael Rugels, now in his 60s, has been much less passionate about the issues surrounding this case since the arrest and conviction. Now that he knows that the man who killed his wife is in prison and can no longer hurt anyone, he doesn't really concern himself with whether Gray should die or spend his life in prison. Michael was quoted as saying, quote, I'd be fine if the guy just died where he's at. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think he should live the way he is, penned up for the rest of his sorry ass life, end quote. Michael and Edward rarely speak anymore because Michael, the husband, would prefer to let it go and move on. But Edward, the father, just can't. Michael said of his father-in-law that, quote, he's waiting to see this all settled before he dies. And I can understand that, but it's apparently never going to be. Years ago, I made up my mind about this. There's nothing I can do about it. I just don't want the man out hurting anyone else, end quote. Kimberly's youngest child was just an infant when she was murdered. Today, Kimberly's kids are roughly 41, 37, and 35 years old, and they have grown up without their biological mother, all because of Ronald Gray. Ronald's most recent appeal was denied by the United States Supreme Court in 2018. If or when Ronald Gray is executed, he would be the first person to be executed by the military since 1961. Since 1916, the military has executed 135 men. Currently, Gray's execution date is unknown, and he is the longest serving inmate on military's death row at the United States Disciplinary Barracks. He's also the only inmate whose death sentence has been approved by the president as required for military death sentences. Here's a little knowledge nugget for you. The Navy has not executed anyone since 1849, and Ronald Gray's death sentence was the first presidentially confirmed death sentence since 1957. At that time, Dwight D. Eisenhower signed off on the death sentence of Private John Bennett who at the time raped an 11-year-old girl and then attempted to drown her. In 1961, Bennett became the last soldier to receive the death penalty and have it carried out. 
In 2008, the Supreme Court decided that the rape of a child was not a crime that should be punished by death as it violated the constitutional protections that are in place against cruel and unusual punishment. So that is to say, if Private John Bennett would have committed his crime today, his crime would not be eligible for the death penalty. As of April of 2020, or even as of just today, there are only four men on the military's death row, including Ronald Gray. One such death row inmate is Timothy Hennis. I covered his case in episode three of Military Murder. The other two death row inmates are Hassan Akbar, whose case I will cover one day, as well as Nadal Hassan, also known as the 2009 Fort Hood shooter. His case is also on my list. Based solely on the statistics, Ronald Gray will likely spend the rest of his life in prison, and it's unlikely that his death sentence will be carried out. But with spending 23 hours a day in a small cell, it could be a fate worse than death. The families of his victims try to move forward and remember the good times with their stolen loved ones without reliving the horrific way they died. They can rest a little easier knowing that Ronald Gray cannot do this to any other women. I just wanted to point out that there was one murder that Ronald was neither charged with or convicted of, and that was the May 86 murder of sex worker Teresa Utley. I haven't been able to find any other information about her death or the reasoning for not charging it, but she was discovered in the woods in Fort Bragg just a few days after Ronald's first known victim, Linda Coates. True Crime Army, stay vigilant. Thank you so much for tuning in for yet another episode of Military Murder. If you like what you hear every week, please take a moment to tell a friend about the podcast. As you tell more people about the show, the show grows, ensuring that I can continue to produce this podcast in the long run. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with my boot camp and higher fan club members. The music was created by TyOps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Shh, let's work another podcast.